This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 422, November 14, 1998. This evening, we have the privilege of having with us Quentin Johnston, originally of Scotland, now uh, the main pastor at the Church of Christian Liberty in uh, Arlington Heights, uh, Illinois. He is there associated with the very important multiple ministries of Dr. Paul Lindstrom, one of the great and key figures in Christian education today, not only in homeschooling, where he is clearly the leader, but also in the operation of a Christian school which has now reached 850 pupils. Quentin, in this session, I'd like to have you give your reactions to American Christianity. You've been here for a number of years since you uh, left Scotland about six and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've seen Christianity in the uh, South very definitely and in the uh, Midwest, notably in the Chicago area. But you've also had occasion to encounter its uh, work in uh, the West and the Pacific Northwest. Now, we have been for years under bitter attack from abroad as having a kind of cheap and superficial Christianity. Uh, as being a failure because we do not have an established church, and so on and on. And I'm, I know you're more than familiar with these uh, criticisms. Would you like to comment on them generally and specifically? Yes, Rush. Generally, I, I, I would repeat something I said in the last tape, that I think we have a consumer mentality which has grown up in the Christian community. As we are consumers in other areas of life, as we can choose our long-distance phone company, as we can choose what suits we want to wear, what clothes, what shoes, and so forth, we choose what sports clubs we want to join, we also now choose our churches. And we look for churches that fit our personality, our life goals, our ambitions, that pander to our particular demographic and so forth. As a consequence of that, we have a church nationally that has, to use a, a, a term that you used in one of your last articles, has become irrelevant, has, has traded real um, culture-changing relevance for utter uh, triviality and irrelevance. The weaknesses that I perceive of so much American Christianity is centered upon a pietistic Jesus and me mentality, which is far too concerned with my, as it were, personal response to Jesus 
as I heard in the radio even today, my making Jesus my quote forever friend. And this radio show was uh, concerned, I believe it was originating from Michigan, was concerned that people would make Jesus their forever friend. Well, where you have a Christian culture that is talking about Jesus, the eternal Son of God, as our forever friend, really no different from Barney the dinosaur, then we have um, no cultural relevance to say what are we saying to people who are in the inner cities who are struggling with uh, divorce with abusive spouses with drug and alcohol abuse with unemployment are we asking them to make Jesus their forever friend we, we've lost all sense I think of of cultural relevance theologically as one pastor I know uh, speaks of we live in a theological dark age we have sought to reinvent theology in our own likeness and image of course we are the children of our age to a great extent or so many are we are existentialist many of the churches are pastored by the 60s generation who even having come through seminary and so forth in truth have reinvented the faith and so you have the classically, of course, um, Bill Hybels in uh, Willow Creek, who, in wanting to begin his church, goes round and takes a poll of the northern suburbs of Chicago. What would you like in a church? Do you like blue carpets, green carpets? You know, what's a more nice color? You know, are hymns a bit too too long or are they too short? Do you like sermons? Do you like talks? What do you like? And then, based upon his poll, he puts together a church. Well, of course, he's got thousands of people attending his church, but where's the cultural relevance to this? We're not really saying anything to our culture or saying nothing to our nation as a consequence. We're electing people to Congress that are apostates, that should be, um, or who should be, excommunicated from whatever church they belong to. Uh, but, of course, famously, the Baptist church that um, our current president belongs to uh, wouldn't dream of excommunicating him, although they should. And, of course, um, uh, Moeller, the head of one of the Baptist seminaries, has actually called for his um, excommunication. So, theologically, we have exchanged in this nation a rich heritage, a rich Reformed heritage, a Puritan heritage, a heritage that even the Baptist churches were reformed for the Arminian gospel, for the gospel of uh, pietistic quietness, uh, for a gospel which really has nothing to say to the city square or the town square, to city hall, uh, very little to say into business, very little about changing the uh, the way we do business. Rather, the most important thing is to be a regular tender at the church and to tithe regularly and uh, make sure you don't miss a meeting. Utter, utter irrelevance. There has been, of late, a considerable revulsion against uh, what you have spoken about. And one uh, radio commentator commented that in the last election, the Christians exercised 
far more influence than they had for some time. And in a number of uh, states and cities, elected officials. Uh, do you see this as a small or major trend, and uh, how do you regard it? I hope that the Christians in this nation are first of all repenting of the numbers of them who have voted for people who do not represent them. Mm -hmm. For years, Christians have assumed that it is better to vote for the lesser of two evils yes. than it is to make a stand for righteousness. Voting for the lesser of two evils is a ridiculous concept. If most of those people who voted for, let us say, um, one of these lesser of two evils, whoever that might be, was given a choice by their friends to either go to a pub to drink beer or to a strip joint, most of them wouldn't choose going to the drink, drink beer because it was the lesser of two evils. They wouldn't assume, well, because getting drunk is less or less of an evil than going with a prostitute, then we better just go and get drunk. And yet they take that view into their politics, and in effect, they hire men who are whoremongers and drunkards. So this idea of lesser of two evils is, is, is a nonsense. The Christian church must begin to deal with the grassroots issues. I don't have a lot of faith in electing a Christian president at this point. I would much rather Christians take a self-conscious decision to build at the local level, to put Christians on school boards, to put Christians into the elected offices in their districts, to take over um, at local level, at local city hall, in their town hall, in their village hall, and begin to build that way, to have a voice. Because we will not have a Christian Congress or a Christian state house or a Christian president until we win the arguments in the hearts and lives of every man, woman, and child, or certainly voting man and woman in the nation. As you yourself have said before, the issue has got to be regeneration and not revolution. And so many Christians have a revolutionary idea that if only we can get a Christian president, everything will solve, all the problems will be solved. I'm hoping that this argument, as I've outlined it, is being heard and will win the day. You've lived in two areas where there are a great many very large churches. And uh, with a dramatic appeal to people, You ha have referred to them obliquely, but uh, as against that, do you feel that uh, the kind of emphasis on a broader Christianity, on beginning with a conversion of man and saving all of society, of making everything God-centered, do you see any movement in that direction? Yes, I do. Although we have spoken about some of the problems, 
I think what is exciting as I am perceiving it is there is a movement towards the reformed distinctions of the Christian faith. I am meeting with a number of uh, reformed Baptists, for instance, in the Chicagoland area. An increasing number, it would appear to me. Mm-hmm. Men who are who have come through what I perceive to have been the Baptistic mill, gone to uh, Dallas, perhaps come through Moody or whatever. They come out at the other end. They end up going to one of the Baptist seminaries in a Baptist church, and they find, if they're seeking, that what they've been taught doesn't work. That spiritually, it does not provide the answers that it said it was going to provide. And as a consequence, I think there is a movement towards the reformed distinctives of the faith. And I am aware of that almost wherever I go. I'm aware of wonderful things happening in Ohio. I'm aware of things happening in Florida, in uh, Illinois, um, and in other places. I'm sure it's going on. Wherever, in fact, wherever really I speak to anybody, Tennessee is another place. I've spoken to somebody again. Men are coming together, seemingly rediscovering for the first time, many Baptists, the Reformed heritage that is theirs, and are uh, seeking to live in terms of it, but, of course, coming under tremendous pressure from the churches that they're pastoring. Some are having to leave. Others are very wisely building very carefully uh, precept upon precept within their churches, and uh, hopefully in time we'll bring them around. Your work at Arlington Heights has as its uh, base, what is it, 15 acres? Uh, yes, it's about that. I forget the exact And uh, at least two buildings, one of them the former major high school in the city. It's two stories, isn't yes. it? And about how many square feet? Um, about 270,000 square feet. 275,000 square feet. And every... Uh, bit of that is now occupied daily in Christian activities, is it not? Yes, it is. At the school, we have a day school, K through 12, um, approaching about 850 students this year. They're, the children are drawn from many different churches and uh, environments, some coming up from the inner city by train, by car some coming in from uh, affluent outlying areas. Arlington Heights itself is in the northwest suburbs, a very uh, affluent area. Um, But our school, uh, as you say, used to be the former Arlington Heights High School. They sold it to us uh, reluctantly, but they sold it to us. Um, Housed on our campus now, we also have Christian Liberty Press, which is increasingly providing books and materials for the independent homeschool market, and principally we have employed about um, 150 people with our homeschool program called CLASS, Christian Liberty Academy Satellite Schools. Uh, for this, the CLASS program, we provide a curriculum based uh, exclusively around each child's test scores. We grade the work, the tests that they do, 
and uh, if they stay until they graduate, then they actually graduate from Christian Liberty Academy Arlington Heights and get a high school diploma from Christian Liberty Academy in Arlington Heights. When you last returned to Scotland, uh, did you find anyone there interested or curious or amazed at the work that Paul Emström is doing there at Christian Liberty? In other words, is that kind of activity occurring at all in Europe? I am not aware of anything like Christian Liberty in the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. Sad to say, the only amazement that I found when I spoke of the work was that there was such a work at all. Was what? That there was even such a work at all. Oh. Huh. There, there wasn't amazement that wasn't God doing marvelous things. It was just an amazement, well, why bother? What's wrong with the schools? What's the big beef? Hmm. Um, there really wasn't a, 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 an amazement at, at the work of God. Do you find many people visiting you there who are interested in doing something similar to what Paul Enstrom has done? Visiting in Scotland or what? visiting visiting in, in, in Arlington Heights? A any uh, people in the United States who want to imitate? Yes, um, there are a few. Um, every year we get a few inquiries from people who um, are interested in, in starting something similar. Uh, just a few months ago, we had some men flew up, I, I believe from the southwest somewhere, uh, from Texas area, uh, by jet. Uh, one of them was a wealthy businessman, was interested in uh, starting something like a Christian Liberty Academy and wanted to look at the model. You see, we have established that model very specifically because we genuinely believe that we have to, if we're going to see the demise of the public school system, we have to model an alternative. And although we, are, of course, are strongly in favor of homeschooling as possibly even the preferred and first option, the reality is not everybody will be able to homeschool. Uh, there are a number of situations that will just preclude that, perhaps single-parent families or, or a number of other things. And therefore, Christian schools are going to be important. And so we are seeking to model that so that others can come along behind us and say, okay, we can run with this as well. We can establish a school on a low budget, but nevertheless provide, provide a good education. Is there any thought given there to putting out a handbook or a booklet or book so that others can study it and uh, follow in your footsteps? I believe in the past, a number of years ago, Dr. Lindstrom did produce such a package. Mm -hmm. I cannot say whether we still have such a thing that as an act of concern. I would imagine that we would handle those probably more on a one-on-one -on -one basis, that if somebody asked a question, asked for information, that we would provide everything we could for them. Um, although it is a thought, one of the great challenges, I believe, that faces us in the next millennium, as well as the end of this one, really, is to put feet onto our philosophy, to actually demonstrate how our philosophy can impact the things we actually do. And so 
perhaps this is something we need to consider. I know you're all overworked there, but I do hope you'll give some thought mm -hmm. to reprinting or expanding that uh, handbook and making it available. Uh, certainly a number of publications, such as the Chalcedon Report, would be very happy to publicize it. And it is important to uh, restore the Catholicity of the Church, mm. because uh, that was a key aspect of the Catholicity of the Church at one time. It was not only the preaching center, it was the educational center, it was the healing center, mm. hospitals. It moved into every area of life and thought with a ministry. Mm. And today those uh, various ministries such as the school and the hospital and others have separated themselves from the church, have become secularized, and in some instances are a problem to us. So I think what you're doing there bears reproducing. And I'd like to encourage you and Paul Lindstrom to put out such a manual. Okay. I, I, I think it's vital that we do spread the word, that we do get others involved. Clearly, the role of the church as we look to the inevitable collapse of our society, mm -hmm. whether that is in terms of the year 2000 bug or some other issue is largely not to the point. Um, the issue is that our society is under God's judgment. The reality is that the fabric of our nation is falling apart. And unless the church will reach out, unless the church has a social policy, has a understanding of what it takes to build a Christian nation, um, then we will be unprepared and it might perhaps will be another generation before we can see some of these things come about. So we uh, take that admonition seriously and we'll give it some very serious consideration. Well, I think if uh, you decide, or Paul Lindstrom decides to uh, write such a pamphlet or a book, uh, I for one would be happy and I'm sure the others of our staff would be also to read it and to make suggestions right. of areas where perhaps uh, further development might be necessary. You see, more than once, vast portions of the world have been Christianized and have been lost, as they are today mm. being lost, because the church has become, as it were, just the chaplain to the existing order and not the builder, hmm. the shaker, uh, the uh, great source of energy to that order. And I'm afraid it is so with us to this century. It's now coming to an end and the church is nowhere near as central as it was in 1900. Not that what we had in 1900 was good, but we have not improved on it. Hmm. Well, one of the challenges I think that we 
are aware of in our own ministry as well as as we look abroad at the whole of the American church is to take that which we have and reproduce it. We have to begin with education because we have to train the next generation to do the things that we are currently ourselves doing or aspiring to do. It takes a lifetime of dedicated service either to business mm -hmm. or to academia or to politics um, or whatever it is to actually become good at it and change the way it's done. There's no point in men in their 40s or 50s or 60s deciding to run for office. They don't have the experience, they've not laid the groundwork necessary. There's no point in men of that age starting businesses. I mean, it's not a bad thing, but in terms of shaping the way business is done, it takes people schooled in it and groomed in it from their young age. One of the great issues we as Christians must deal with is what are we doing for our children in terms of their vocations? Because we have to train them or have to shape them as they grow up to become world changers or nation changers. The church is the only hope that this nation or any nation has, not as an institution but in terms of the message of the gospel of Christ it brings. Our children must grow up with that gospel, imbued with a sense of the importance of the gospel as it touches every aspect of life and thought. My challenge, I believe, as I believe the challenge is for all of us, is to, as Scripture says, as a, to, to take our children as arrows and to fire them straight and true at the bullseye, at the target, so that they will they will run true. We have trained them well. We have they've been educated at home or in Christian school in terms of a reformed understanding of the faith, in terms of a reformed understanding of history and philosophy and economics and so forth. So that when they give their whole lives to to whatever enterprise they move into, then they can build generationally. Uh, until we do that, I'm afraid we will simply keep on repeating the cycles we have of revivals and revivalism, of uh, happy clappy services and feel-good three-point sermons uh, that really will not touch our nation and will not train our children how to offer hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ to our nation. One of the things that I think we should discuss is the fact that the church scene here in the United States has a factor that distinguishes it from churches elsewhere, namely the revival of the free Christian school movement that once prevailed. You have a vast number of children who today are not in state schools, but in Christian schools. You have a growing number of children who are in home schools, and the home school associations have been growing by leaps and bounds. I have mentioned on various occasions, and I want to restate it because I think it's so exciting a fact, 
last year I spoke, uh, as I often have, at Christian homeschool conferences, of parents. Uh, there were three that I spoke to, and they were not the only ones in the state. These were regional. And uh, they ran from a couple of thousand to one which had 10,000 hmm. parents present. Gracious. Now that indicates a tremendous revolution. And when you realize uh, these are parents who are dissatisfied with a public school, who take the faith more seriously than their church does, and have gone to the expense and time of establishing a Christian homeschool, it's really exciting. It tells you that there is a different kind of Christianity in development. Hmm. Another interesting aspect of the same situation is that a number of these homeschoolers are now developing home churches. And the result is a home church movement that is spreading and growing and in some instances uh, becoming large-scale churches with uh, a considerable number of students in their Christian school. So uh, Christian Liberty Academy has been an important part of that revolution with its Christian school and home school and the publicity it has given to both movements. I uh, trust more and more will be done to focus national and international attention on that aspect of your ministry because it is known abroad hmm. and it needs to be publicized even more. I found it was well known when I went to Australia and I had people ask me about it. Hmm. So I don't know how fully aware uh, Christian Liberty is of its worldwide impact. Well, in Australia, interestingly, uh, we are somewhat aware. We um, had one of our, our men, Mike McHugh, go down to Australia last year, I think it was. Uh, we provide homeschool materials to the uh, somewhat developing a uh, homeschool situation down there. Now, if memory serves me right, I think either it has already become illegal or is going to become illegal to homeschool in Australia. They are uh, closing down um, all non-accredited um, colleges mm. and it is becoming very difficult. They are aggressively uh, pursuing a, a state uh, control over every aspect of, of life. Of course, classically, the, the recent um, well-known uh, recall of weapons and so forth in Australia, which, despite what everybody's saying, my understanding is is an utter and total failure. Um, so we are aware that in other nations our material is being used. One of the big challenges I think we have as 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 all Christian publishers have, is to internationalize our books, is to bring that reformed distinctive of education into materials that can be used 
easily or well in other cultures. And so we need to have men writing who understand the Far East, for instance, who understand uh, Eastern Europe, who understand other places other than America, to begin to write critiques, commentaries, histories, and mm -hmm. so forth, dealing with these cultures, dealing with the issues as they're presented with the religious problems and the religious issues that are presented in these cultures from a reformed perspective. And I know some men are. For instance, I name a fellow called Ralph Smith in, a, in um, Japan, who we work with, who is writing in, um, over there, uh, translating uh, reform materials into Japanese mm -hmm. and doing a tremendous job of interacting with that culture and, um, and critiquing it in terms of reform theology. Do you have any thoughts to share with us on thinking going on at Christian Liberty about the future of their work and ministry? Well, the ministry now has been running for 30 years since Paul Lindstrom first developed a homeschool curriculum for a young lad who wasn't doing well in public school. We believe that the Lord would have us continue to grow, to continue to influence. So we're making plans in those terms. We're making plans in terms of our homeschool uh, program to streamline that, to bring that into um, more compliance, if you will, with the way things are done nowadays. We have changed a lot of the requirements on homework and so forth and um, given a little bit more uh, movement or, or ease for the parents to develop the curriculum for their children and yet still stay with us. One thing we do know is this, that the homeschool movement will continue to grow. There is an increasing dismay amongst Christians with what their children are learning. And increasingly, despite what so many of the mainstream Christian commentators and prognosticators are saying, who are encouraging people to keep stay with the, the, the public school system, increasing numbers of Christians are saying, this is just is not working. As a consequence, more and more materials are being published. One of the problems I have with the modern homeschool movement as it has developed is that there are real problems with much of the material that is out there. Frankly, I have to say, so much of it is trash. Yes. So much of it, not, and, and that's not just theologically, just educationally, it's nonsense. Now, our own, we're not, I'm not saying that our own work is beyond um, uh, critique in any sense of my <laughs> stretch of the imagination. But we have to, as Reformed Christians, begin seriously to ask ourselves questions in terms of what we are producing and to produce self-consciously reformed materials, self-consciously reconstructionist materials, 
uh, theonomic materials, if you will, materials that reflect a presuppositional world and life view, so that those Christians who are uh, looking for some substantial Christian uh, curriculum can find it. One of the other problems I think that is developing and with the increase of the independent homeschool market is has, well, has a lot to do with the nature of homeschoolers themselves. These are people who have taken an initiative, often against the advice of even pastors. Uh, I was talking to somebody recently who sends their children to our Christian school. His pastor believes that all Christians should have their children in public schools so they can act as a witness and salt and light in schools. Utter uh, lawlessness, utter abrogation of their responsibilities as parents, but it sounds good. So these are parents who have already decided to, if you will, paddle their own canoe. However, they take that into the selection of curriculum. And so often they are unprepared or unequipped to choose the correct curriculum for the child. So they end up choosing a curriculum that is not integrated or one that their children does well in, which means that perhaps is not actually challenging the child. And so one of my concerns is as we work in both camps, producing an integrated curriculum for our class program and also providing books in our, in our Christian Liberty Press uh, work, is to provide curriculum that holds together, that, that stays uh, together, that gives a, a consistent world and life view. And so at Christian Liberty Academy, Christian Liberty Press, class and so forth, we are taking this issue very seriously and are seeking to address this problem, first of all, amongst what we produce, and then encouraging others. It's a vast market, and there's plenty room for good materials. Well, <clears throat> the Christian homeschool movement is remarkable because it's creating a a desire on the part of parents to take charge of areas they once surrendered. Mm. I can recall when no one dreamed it would ever be possible to get uh, the Christian family to resume some of its historic duties. Mm. And uh, the Christian homeschool movement has been a particularly dramatic example of how that change is possible. I think it's going to come in country after country. I know at first when I had contact with Christian leaders in Britain and Australia, their attitude, and Canada, their attitude was, uh, you'll never get uh, our adults to uh, show an interest in anything like that. Well, now they have in all three areas and are doing so in increasing numbers. So we have to recognize that somehow, whether by adversity or by more mature preaching from the pulpit, we are developing a more responsible uh, Christian uh, membership. And perhaps we need to stress that. 
Perhaps we could do that in the report sometime, uh, creating responsible Christians, hmm. uh, expanding the areas of responsibility, because there has been a progressive surrender. Now there is the beginning of a progressive recapture of one area after another. I'm encouraged also to see that uh, this is taking unusual forms. We have groups in the United States of Christian artists, hmm. artists who are self-consciously Christian and are successful full-time artists. Now, they're just uh, an insignificant number in the great vast uh, context of the United States, but they are important in what they represent, an application of the faith to a specific area. Well, Rush, this, this comes back to something I think that, that is vitally important. We have to teach our children that a calling from God, a vocation, if you will, from God, doesn't necessarily mean a career in a pulpit. But a calling from God can be to business, to art, to uh, sciences, and so forth. And if we will have an, a generation of children growing up with this view that everything they do is consecrated to God, every aspect of their life, whether it is as an artist, whether it is a singer, as a, as a, a movie actor, as a, um, as a clerk in a store, um, as, as whatever it is, then the government of God, the kingdom of God, can be progressively established in each of these areas. Mm -hmm. But that is a, a training that will only take place in a Christian environment, where for the entire school career of a child, they are trained with these world and life views and these presuppositions. Thus, this is a challenge that we're faced. You're so right. One of the things that gave vitality to the Puritan movement for generations and persisted to our time was that there was once a strong emphasis in preaching on the necessity for a calling. And the word calling did not apply merely to the ministry or to missionary work. It was across the boards. And people do not have a sense of calling now. They uh, go into a work because they think the opportunities are th great there, uh, financially and otherwise, so that uh, they have no sense of calling. Uh, Let me interject it with something there to brush because on this issue of calling, I think as Christian parents, we've got to think about if we're going to build generationally, we need to bring our children to understand that life is not, or the Christian life is not, middle-class American suburbia. Mm -hmm. That we cannot equate successful Christian living with a Volvo 
although you have one, I don't mean to uh, make that, but as, as the classic yuppie symbol. 19 years old. Right, as a, as a, as a brand new, um, you know, classic yuppie symbol at the front door, a Mont Blanc pen and, um, and, and, and Gucci shoes. Uh, you know, middle class suburbia, middle class uh, is, is, is not what Christianity is all about. We have to teach our children lessons that we have learned, which is our life is given, is expended doing what God calls us to do. And for many of them, it will mean dedicating themselves to education to train yet another generation. We mustn't be careful that we do not teach our children that the most reformed thing they can do is just become wealthy. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, and it's important to have wealthy men and women uh, uh, benefactors. But even those who are wealthy need to understand that their wealth is theirs on loan. It is there to fund, obviously, their, their own family, but to fund the kingdom of God, to provide finances for the kingdom. And so, in our education, this issue of calling, of understanding that, that we serve God principally, that we give our lives for the gospel and for the kingdom, whether it is as a, as a CEO of a company, or as a nurse, or as a minister of the gospel, or as somebody who pumps gas, whatever it is that we do, we do for God's glory, and we dedicate ourselves to teaching the next generation. For many, that will mean getting our kids into Christian education as teachers. And speaking as a Christian educator, one of the major lacks that I see as we look around and interview year after year in our growing school is people who are self-consciously reformed who want to teach. Unfortunately, that is an area that is almost exclusively given over to young <coughs> Arminian girls who love children. And too many of our young men are not prepared to go into that as a vocation. It's not well paid. They are not going to necessarily enjoy the middle class lifestyle that perhaps their education might otherwise have um, entitled them to in previous years. But we have to move away from the societal norms and build a Christian culture, and that is a generational prospect. I think what you said is very important. The necessity for a calling must prevail. Some years ago, I uh, had a discussion with a uh, man who was an aerospace engineer. And he said at the time that he had seen successions of uh, oversupply and shortage in his field. And he said, uh, the trouble is we have now too many uh, uh, vocational advisors who look around and say to a young man, there is a shortage of engineers or of architects or of this and that. It's a good field to get into. And you have some aptitude in the sciences. And he said, uh, suddenly that field will be overcrowded. Hmm. And uh, 
then they'll shift into other fields. So he said it's been a runaround because people make the mistake of saying not, what do I have an aptitude for? Where do I feel I have a calling? That's where God wants me to be. And no matter how crowded the field may be today, God will open up the doors for me. Uh, we don't have that. Uh, instead, they go where supposedly the opportunities are. And I feel it's a serious mistake. I feel that the child who has an aptitude, or the young man or woman, in a particular area should be encouraged, however overcrowded the field is, to develop their uh, talents in terms of that particular field. I don't need to change the, the subject, but this is uh, interesting what we're talking about. I, I do want quickly, before we end here, could you tell us a little bit about um, Christian Liberty Press? Uh, I think you said you had, was it 20 or 25,000 students in your... In total, we, we it's, it's difficult to get exact figures because we have students, some students who are enrolled in a couple of a couple of years at one time and so forth and we're still trying to iron the bugs out of our new computer system and, and, and get really get accurate information. But we reckon on um, around 20-25,000 students who come to us for all or the vast majority of their curriculum requirements. Um, can you tell us what's involved in the, in the press? Because that alone is a, is a huge ministry right, right there. Well, Christian, uh, Christian Liberty Press grew out of the fact that we wanted to publish our own materials. We uh, publish a, a, an extensive catalogue which is available by calling uh, Christian Liberty Academy. Um, and people can uh, send off for uh, good quality books, we try and get as many reformed materials as possible as well as our own in there so that they can equip themselves uh, to train them, the, their, their, their children appropriately. Go ahead and give them the number where people can, can call or the address or both. Okay, the number is 847-259-4444. 847-259-4444. Well, thank you all for listening, and we're very grateful to you, Quentin, for being with us and taking time to do this taping. I'm sure those who are listening are going to find it profitable listening and may be in touch with Christian Liberty before too long. Thank you all and good night.